Good morning, church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Jared. I'm one of the ministers on staff here at Plum Creek and I haven't preached in a while. In fact, this is the first time that I've been up here since I turned 50 back in December. So yeah, do we get a woo for that? So I'm already noticing that I probably should use a larger font on my notes. Um, I was excited to turn 50, though, because you get to join AARP. (laughs) I'm serious, like you're laughing, but I've been looking forward to that for a long time. They have these great commercials, and everybody's so happy in the commercials. Uh, 50 is the new 30. Uh, So so right before my birthday, I get this card in the mail from the AARP. I I scan the card. Uh, the code on the card. I paid my dues. I signed up and it is great. So if you're not 50 yet, this is really something to look forward to. I get 10% off at Denny's. I get a discount off prescription glasses at LensCrafters. So that's going to come in handy. Uh, And best of all, I get these great articles emailed to me all the time to read. Uh, So uh, this one this week said, five ways to tell if you have a brain tumor. That was exactly the content that I had hoped to get. I mean, I was never worried about if I had a brain tumor until now, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, maybe that's going on. So I'm following up on what Doug started last week. Uh, We are the church. Uh, Doug shared this infographic that explains how we think about Plum Creek. If I can remember, at my age, if I can remember back to what he talked about, the, the infographic talks about how we organize what we do at Plum Creek, and we call it the Great Commission Engine. Maybe you remember that. Just to recap, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we call the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus lived here on earth. He gave us an example that we could follow. Then he he died for our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserved. We should have gotten that death. Then he rose again on the third day, defeating humankind's greatest enemy, the enemy we can't do much about, death. And just as he was about to go back up to heaven, he shared this with his followers. Go make disciples. So the way we make disciples here at Plum Creek, uh, us followers of Jesus, is to organize things, organize what we do around this idea of the Great Commission engine. Now, I don't know a lot about engines. Uh, My brother's here today. He knows a lot about engines. I don't know a lot about engines, but um, some of you may remember Uh, Several years ago, I used an illustration about a mower that I could not keep a belt on. Like the belt just kept coming off and it was so frustrating. But I do know this about engines, they have pistons. I'm kind of proud of myself for actually knowing how many pistons each of my vehicles have. Like that's a big deal for me. I drive a Jeep, it has six pistons. Angie drives an Explorer. It has four pistons, but it has turbo which apparently magically makes those four pistons work like six. I don't understand how. I used to have a Ford F-150. It had eight pistons. 
Several years ago, I had this vehicle. Some of you may remember that white truck that I had. And one day, I was down in Frankfurt for a meeting, and I was heading back from Frankfurt, and I blew out a spark plug. Like the spark plug came out of the, of the engine, which these, uh, these Ford F-150s had a tendency to do. No spark plug, no piston that was firing to make the engine run. But I still had seven other pistons. So that's like 87.5% of my engine. I should be good, right? No, that's not how it works apparently. The truck ran so bad that I think I actually called home and told Angie, I was like, I'm just going to stop and buy another truck because this one is, is, is done. See, the engine is designed for all of the pistons to work together to make the equipment do its thing. When one piston isn't firing, it causes problems and not small problems, like you're not getting home from Frankfurt problems. So I love this Great Commission engine. It really helps us to think about how we should be organized here at, at Plum Creek as a church. It's our discipleship model. It's how we explain to people you follow Jesus better. It's how we do the Great Commission. We're constantly trying to figure out how each of these pistons is firing and how to make them fire just a little bit better. This particular engine, as you can see, has three pistons, and maybe you remember these from last week. They are uh, the gathering at the top, and then community or small groups, and surrendered living. A follower of Jesus has to be fully engaged in all three of these areas in order to really see progress in the way that they're following Jesus, to really experience God making a difference in their lives. They need to, to, to be engaging on all three of these, of these areas. If you're missing out on any one of these three pistons, your spiritual life is going to run like a Ford F-150, Triton V8, coming home from Frankfurt on seven pistons. And trust me, that's not very good. So my task today is to share with you about that piston at the top of the graphic. It's not the most important one. It's just the one we normally start with first. Remember, if you're killing it in this one, but not firing on the other ones, you've got problems. So let's talk about the gathering. To start the conversation, I think it's important to understand why we use the word gathering. Uh, generally, our English translations of the Bible um, the, uh, are, are, uh, do a pretty good job of getting to the original meaning of the scriptures, getting those into a language that we can understand. But there is some confusion about, about this word that's been translated church. So if you look in your Bible and you see the word church, um, that there's a, a specific Greek word that's being used there. And, and in English, we have a lot of different definitions for the word church. So it gets confusing. Uh, church is a building that's used for worship, right? In English, we would call that a building. I came to 961 Nagel Road this morning to church. It could also be an organization with its own clergy or buildings or doctrine. It could be a time, a public worship service. We call that church. What time does church start on Sunday? Or it could be the entirety of all Christians across the world. We would call that the church, universal. So when we read in our Bibles and we see the word church, we might assume, well, it means one of these four things. Or because of the way we grew up or the church that we were a part of when we were young, we may have a variety of other things that come to mind when it says church. And that can be a problem. 
So I want to be really clear about what that original word in the Greek was and what it means uh, in English. The word is ekklesia in Greek, ekklesia. I'm no Greek scholar, but I do know this one. Now, if we translate that word ekklesia from, uh, from the Greek to English, it's gathering. That's so important to our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. The gathering is important. There's something special about being together. There's an obvious focus in Scripture about this regular getting together that seems to be vital in the life of a follower of Jesus. The gathering's important because God shows up. I mean, God is always with us, but there's something special about the way that he shows up when his followers are gathered. This, uh, this time when the followers of Jesus are together is so important. Let's look at the very beginning of what we call church. Acts chapter 2, we see a picture of the very first gathering. And we'll just start with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, so the day of Pentecost is seven Sundays after Easter. So is, this was a Sunday. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So what had they done? They had gathered. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because, one, uh, because each one, uh, notice this, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are uh, speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears in our native language? Then they go on to talk about all the places they are from. I can't pronounce all those, so I'm going to skip on down to verse 12 where it says, amazed and perplexed, they, were at, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you one thing it means. It means God shows up at the gathering. I love that we do our gathering on Sunday mornings. For us, that means the first day of the week, likely the first thing we do. You've heard me say it before. This is the first hour of the first day of our week, and it's for God. But the time isn't magical. Many gatherings happen on Sunday nights. Some happen on Saturdays, some even on other days of the week. Time isn't as important as the fact that followers of Jesus are together. God wants to do something special when that happens. Do you believe that? Do you show up here expecting God to do something special? Are you praying for God's Spirit to move when you get here in our gathering? Is your heart open to recognizing, seeing how God's moving? If we go back to Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter preaches a message about Jesus, and those listening, it says, we're cut to the heart. So God's moving, They're asked, and they ask, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So that's what they did. They repented and were baptized. That day, 3,000 were baptized and accepted Jesus. God was moving. And this is where the gathering started. We call it church. This was the first church. So what did the church do? 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as we continue. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That sounds like our gathering. That sounds like what we're doing right now. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was showing up at the gathering. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts because they didn't have church buildings. They were meeting in the places where they had already been meeting. They broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts. That sounds like the Lord's Supper or communion. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage really is a model for what we're doing here today. It's a model for why we gather every week. And the result of this gathering was that God showed up. And I think they expected God to show up. Do you expect God to show up this morning? This passage should remind you of what we do here. We connect with others. I saw some of that happening out in the gathering area. We sing praise to God. We did that already a little bit. and We're going to do more at the end of service. We pray for one another. You might have seen that happening, or you might have prayed with someone else, but we'll pray together here this morning. We hear teaching from Scripture. That's what we're doing now. We practice generosity. We have opportunity to give. We take the Lord's Supper or communion, if you pick that up on your way in. And the biblical model says that when you do these things at the gathering, God shows up. That's what we should expect the next thing to happen. His Spirit moves. Incredible things happen. So, like communion or the Lord's Supper, do you believe what God is doing is something incredible when we take communion? I want to just explain what this means uh, today. Just take a few minutes to talk about communion, and then we'll just go ahead and take it right while we're talking. So if you want to get this out, if you didn't pick one up, you can uh, go in the back. There's one in the door, uh, right outside the door there. <clears throat> so if you want to get this ready... Um, Every week at our gathering, we take this little cracker in here and this little cup of juice on the other side. It's a symbol to help us remember and confess or proclaim uh, that we believe Jesus lived and died for our sins and rose again, conquering death. So we know this is important to do because in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this, Jesus says in Luke 22. We know that it happens in the gathering. There's something special about the gathering because we see in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul writes, when you gather, and he talks about the Lord's Supper. And he says that not just one time, but five times. When you gather, do this. When you gather, don't do this. Also in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that we do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Like, we're not just remembering it. We're saying, yes, we believe this. And we call it communion because we're gathered together. We're intermingling with one another as we do it. This isn't something we do on our own or alone. We do communion intermingled together, and the act of taking communion intermingles us with Jesus. 
See, something special is happening when we take this bread and juice. God is moving, but there's more than going on than just remembering. God is showing up, and He is making us uh, one with Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? So we can pray, and, and I'll just make this my prayer right now. We can pray, Jesus, we are gathered here today to know you more. We proclaim and thank you for what you've done for us. Your death on the cross saved us from our sin. And Jesus, we eat this bread, and we drink this juice, and we claim the promise that we're participating in your body and your blood. We are who you are, Jesus. We have what claim that promise. We want to experience oneness with you. So Jesus, send your spirit to move among us as we claim these promises. And those who would gather would say at that point, amen, I agree with that. Like, I, yeah, I want to claim those promises. So do you believe Jesus wants to bring you peace? Do you believe Jesus wants to speak to you during his gathering? Yes, Jesus, we believe. Jesus, we believe that you will deliver us from fear, that you will give us the protection and, uh, and everything we need. We believe that the impossible is possible because of you. And church, right now, together, believing all these things, we take this little piece of bread and we eat it together. And you can eat it right now. The body of Christ broken for us. And church, now together, intermingled with one another, intermingling with Jesus, together now, believing this that we just talked about, we can take this cup of juice, the blood of Christ poured out for us, for our healing and for our salvation. And all of this for the glory of God. The gathering is important. Something special just happened. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, through the gathering, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. All right, so I really don't understand why God made this gathering uh, so, uh, so special. Uh, a place where he shows up in a special way. But verse 10 of that passage said God's intent before creation was to make himself known. Before he created land and sea, birds and animals, before he created people, he had this intent that he wanted to make himself known. And how he was going to make himself known, he already knew it before creation. His intent was to do it through the gathering. 
what God accomplished in Jesus would be made known to the world through this special thing that happened called the gathering. It's where followers of Jesus would be equipped and encouraged to, uh, to get the confidence they needed to go out in the world and take ground for the kingdom. We can't be a part of what God is accomplishing. We can't be a part of his eternal purpose apart from this gathering. So church, something special happens when we gather. Are you expecting it? Are you praying for it? Is your heart prepared to see the Spirit move? A friend of mine has been coming to Plum Creek for a while now. She's been, uh, though, going through a very difficult time for the past uh, few years. She shared this with me uh, recently. I had been attending Plum Creek for two years, usually alone. I came with a broken heart, praying for guidance, answers, and peace. I always loved to sing, but I couldn't sing in church anymore. I left every service crying. I wondered if I would ever feel strong or happy again. About a year ago, Doug asked us to come up and to write the name of someone in our lives who needed prayer to put in the prayer wall. I came up during that service and wrote my own name down. And it was the first time in a while that I had thought about myself. I'd been consumed about what everybody else needed and hadn't really focused any on myself. Then I realized that I was disappearing. I needed Jesus. I needed to be healed because my children didn't deserve the broken me. They deserved the best me. Finally, back in September 2023, I remember a time I was out in nature, I was in God's creation, I was praying, and I prayed that I would be able to let go of all the hurt, the pain, regret, fear, doubt, guilt, and self-hate. I wanted to just let go of all of that. At that moment, I acknowledged and accepted God's love and forgiveness. And that day started my journey of letting go and letting God be in control. So just a few weeks ago, in service... Doug asked us to come back up to the same prayer wall where I had written my own name uh, just a year before. What a year. This time, I didn't walk up to the wall. I stayed in my seat, and I quietly prayed. I thank God for all the people in our church and in my life who had been praying for me since that time last year, praying for my children. I thanked, for him, I thanked him for my friends and for my family. I thanked him for renewed friendships in my life through Plum Creek and for new people that God has brought uh, into my life. One, sp- one, person in, in, uh, one special person in particular who seems to know the exact right moment to reach out with a text or a call or a hug. Most of all, I thanked him for helping me hear music again, helping me sing again in church. I just feel like this is the kind of miracle that God does when we're in the gathering. God was able to orchestrate this life change because my friend showed up here. God still did things outside of the gathering. My friend experienced breakthrough with Jesus out in nature, but God showed up when she was back here in the gathering. God let her know that, hey, I'm here. 
I'm with you. I'm doing this. And in a very special way with the prayer wall, he confirmed that she is his child and he's always, that he is always with her. If she wasn't here at the gathering, she would have missed that confirmation blessing that God wanted her to have. Something special happens in the gathering. God moves. Miracles happen. Sometimes God just does it on his own. And sometimes he does it through us. I've had several times over the past few years when I really wasn't expecting God to move at the gathering. I felt like I kind of had given up on that. There had been some times where I didn't even really want to come to the gathering. Have you had any time like that in your life? There was a time where Angie had some, my wife had some medical issues and some symptoms that were for a time really scary to us. We really didn't know what was happening with her body and we literally had a doctor tell us, you know, I'm going to make a diagnosis for this in a couple weeks. And before I do that, if you don't have life insurance, it'd probably be a good time to buy that. I've shared with many of you about the things that we've gone through with my daughter's health, some scary, serious things that have happened. And I'm, I'm glad to report Reagan's doing great. Reagan is really doing well. We recognize how God's been working through that. But there have been some times uh, over the past few years that have really scared us. Some times that were really dark. Some times when I thought, okay, God, I believe you. I believe in you. I know you can heal. I know that you want what's best for us but really can't see how you're moving right now. And there were times where I was pretty angry with God. I remember my dad getting diagnosed with cancer just a few months after he retired. There were lots of ups and downs with that through the past nine years. There were a number of times that we just didn't think he was going to make it even another couple weeks. But God blessed us with nine years. But on December 28th, uh, I, with my family, was uh, by his side when he took his last breath and went to be with Jesus. And even though I know that he's in a better place, that his body is fully healed, that his vision is fully restored, it's still a difficult time. And many of you know that feeling. But at my dad's services down in Maysville, I preached my dad's funeral. The first people who were in line to see us at the funeral home were people from my gathering. Then some other people from my gathering showed up and they brought food for our family to have during, during the services. And then some more people showed up from my gathering, from Plum Creek. They showed up and they brought food for our next day when we had this family get together uh, the next day with the whole family there. Then dozens of you, one after another, came through that line. And it was a sacrifice. I know. It took several hours on a busy holiday to come down and be with us. And, and, and only for a moment, just to pass and say that you loved us. To let us know that you loved us and you cared for us and supported us. And that next Sunday, which was just last week, I couldn't wait to get back to the gathering. I just wanted to be with all those people who I knew loved me. There was a miracle that happened that day. God showed up. He pulled me through this darkness through you guys. Those, um, those of us who gather here is what helped me through it. The gathering's important. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10 it says this, let us consider how to stir one another uh, 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what happened with me in the past few weeks. Don't give up on this gathering, as some are in the habit of doing. Don't you know God's going to show up? He's going to show up in a special way. Maybe the Spirit's going to stir in your heart this Sunday. Maybe someone else here has a word of encouragement for you that's going to help you through the week. Or maybe, maybe you're the instrument God intends to use to encourage someone else. The gathering is important. All the kids in my neighborhood in Maysville where I grew up, we loved to play tag. We had several yards that backed up all together. Like we, there was this big area in the back that all the backs of the houses faced each other. There was an area probably the size of a football field back there, and it was great for playing tag. And my dad always built awesome decks on the back of the house. Like, he was a master deck builder. And um, we would have multiple levels of decks. We would have, like, benches. We would have fire pits. The decks were always really cool. So when we played tag back in Maysville, our deck was base. Now, I think uh, tag rules are pretty universal. Someone is it, and they try to make someone else it by chasing them down and tagging them. But if you're on base, you're safe. You couldn't be tagged. You couldn't stay long. You couldn't stay long on base. But when you were there, you were safe. Now, if you got on deck, if you got on base on the deck by yourself, you might catch your breath a little bit, but it wasn't really any fun just to be on the deck alone. But sometimes three or four of us would get on base together. And when you were there, safe from being tagged, you could just take a breather. You could laugh about something that had happened in the game earlier. You could make plans on how to get back in the game and still avoid being tagged. You you could encourage one another to get back in the game. And that's really what our gathering is like. It's like base. It's really not the point of the game just to be on base. The point of life isn't just to be here all the time just to be safe. But sometimes we need a safe place. Sometimes we need a rest. Sometimes we need strategy for how we're going to handle life or encouragement to get back out there. You can't stay long. You can't come in here and stay all the time, even if you might want to. It's just not the way life works. But life would be really hard if we didn't have a place to come back to, a base, a place to be encouraged, a place where God is going to move. Don't give up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I want to encourage you to think about a challenge I want to give you. Make this gathering a priority. We've got 12 weeks from now until Easter. What would happen if all of us just said, I'm not really going to make this gathering a priority for the next 12 weeks? What if we prayed, God, I'm praying this morning that you'll send your spirit to the gathering. You've promised that you're going to be there. We expect you to show up because it's what we read in in Scripture. What if we came in thinking like that? What if we prepared ourselves for it? What if we prayed, God, maybe you're going to show up for someone else through me this week, and I want to be a part of that. God does something special in the gatherings. Would you consider committing to being here, ready to experience that for the next 12 weeks? See what difference it makes. See how God shows up between now and Easter. 
and let us know what he's doing in your life. Maybe God's already showed up for you today. Maybe someone had a good word for you on the way in. Maybe someone, uh, maybe God had a good word for you when you took communion. But I wanted to end this morning by just giving God some space and some time to move among us. So we're going to sing some songs together. I'm going to ask that all of you stand with me. I'll pray and then we'll worship. And let's see what God has in store for us. Let's see how God shows up even right now as we cry out to him in praise for what he's doing in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you again for, uh, for today, this first day of the week, the first hour of our week that we give to you. And Father, we thank you for your promises, your promises that when your people gather, you show up. And Father, I thank you for the way I've seen that happen time and time again. And, and Father, we invite your spirit right now to move over these next few minutes as we just sacrifice these songs to you. Father, we pray that, uh, that you would just show up in a big way in the lives of people that just are searching for you here. Uh, Father, because we know there's something special about the gathering. Father, we're here to see you move, and we expect something to happen. So, Father, we thank you for the way that you love us so much and for Jesus, and we give this time to you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.